Nine Lives, the debut album from Catalyst, grips with infinite possibility and reflects the contemporary Los Angeles jazz scene. Catalyst is more than a nine-piece band. It's a collective of producers, composers, musicians, and writers who represent a who's who of the Los Angeles jazz community. You can listen to the album on all of the major music platforms or purchase a copy through bandcamp.com. Catalyst with a K, and the album is Nine Lives. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. TFF Pharmaceuticals' thin film freezing technology allows it to take vaccines, small molecule drugs, and biologics and turn them into a fine powder. The process not only can be used to eliminate the need for low temperature storage of certain medicines, but also improve the water solubility of drugs and allow them to be delivered as inhaled therapies. We spoke to Glenn Mattis, president and CEO of TFF Pharmaceuticals, about its platform technology the company's efforts to build a pipeline by reformulating existing therapeutics, and its plan to use partnerships to realize the full potential of the technology. Glenn, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Danny. Good afternoon. We're going to talk about TFF Pharmaceuticals, its efforts to reformulate vaccines and medicines with its thin film freezing process, and and the implications of the technology and the different applications for it. Perhaps we can begin with thin film freezing. What's the process like? How does it work? And and what's the end result? Sure. Well, thanks for the question. So, Danny, I'll try to paint a uh, as vivid a word picture as I can to describe how this works. But if if you, in your mind or in the listener's mind, can, can envision um, a bulk chemical that, that ultimately becomes a tablet that, that people take or um, a vaccine or a botanical, um, that, that's kind of a good start. So whatever we have, we, we ultimately try to get it into a solution. And the, the, the sort of the um, constant characteristic of what we do is the goal is, is to make whatever we're working on um, as absorbable as possible. And, and many pharmaceutical compounds are not. And, and the very unique feature of thin film freezing is that it works on, I would say, almost every, if not every type of um, pharmaceutical compound known to man. Uh, we've heard about large molecules and small molecules and even botanicals. In that realm are biologics, but just again, think about that. And the goal, if it's if it's not already in solution, is to take that compound into a solution by using something that we call excipients, that are uh, agents that help you know solubilize 
um, pharmaceutical compounds. Now, the excipients that we use are um, approved excipients. We don't use anything that isn't already used in the pharmaceutical world. And so you have the solution. And then what happens is there is a, um, a cylinder, a stainless steel cylinder uh, drum almost. And uh, if you think about that, it, it's, uh, it's suspended on, on a motor and it spins around slowly. And we cryogenically freeze that stainless steel drum to very, very cold temperatures, anywhere between minus 40 degrees Celsius and minus 150 degrees Celsius. Now, I'll tell you why that's important in a moment. But, Danny, as you can imagine, if you drip a liquid onto something that cold, what happens? It immediately freezes. It flash freezes, right? And on the surface of that cylinder, which, by the way, spins around slowly on this motor, what's formed are these very, very what we call thin film wafers, hence the name thin film freezing, right? Now, the beauty of this flash freezing is you capture the drug you're working on in a very, very highly active state. So there's no possibility of um, the environment degrading or denaturing the concentration of that wafer. All right. So hang with me here for a minute because we're getting to the punchline in a moment. (laughs) We capture these, these thin film wafers into a liquid nitrogen bath. We scrape them off the surface of the cylinder. And then we put them into a, um, a machine called a lyophilizer, which basically takes these wafers, applies a very, very um, a, a significant amount of pressure to, to sublime off any of the remaining liquid. And what comes out on the other end is, is a powder something we actually call a brittle matrix powder. And what's uniquely characteristic of these powders that we create, it's very fine, it's very respirable. So if you're inhaling it, it's easier to inhale. And it's highly concentrated with the active drug. So in the case of when we try to get that drug into the lung, the powder is put into a a capsule. And then the capsule is then put into an actuator device. Um, if it's not, it's not now a, a, a nebulizer of any kind. It's a dry powder device. The capsule goes into this device. It's, it's almost like an inhaler. And on either side of the inhaler are two little blue tabs. You push the two tabs in. They're attached to a fine needle piercing the capsule. And the patient inhales the powder. And that's how they get the drug. Now, we can do this through the lung. We can do this through the nose. And we've even now started to look at it in terms of formulating product for administration through the skin topically and through the eye. So that's the five minute and 16 second word picture of thin film freezing. I hope you'll be glad that you asked. Can, can it can it also just be turned into an injectable by adding water? Or? Yeah, that's a great question, Danny. So in the case of vaccines, um, you can then take the powder and reconstitute it for injection. Now, why would you want to do that? And what's the advantage of using thin film freezing? Well, you know, we've all, everybody knows now that the two leading uh, COVID-19 vaccines, the one produced by Moderna and the one produced by uh, Pfizer, need to be 
uh, stored and distributed in, in a frozen, in a very highly refrigerated state. Well, by using thin film freezing, we can bypass the need for refrigeration. So we think that our process and formulation will work, will allow thin film freezing to be considered as part of any second generation vaccine. So especially even whether you're looking at the developed world where a lot of the cost of the COVID-19 vaccine and the difficulty of getting it out to people is this refrigeration issue. And think about it also as an advantage in the developing world where refrigeration isn't available. So um, whether it's a COVID-19 vaccine or a monoclonal antibody vaccine or other vaccines that we're working on like flu, uh, you won't need refrigeration. The powder could be the actual vaccine or it can be reconstituted. The other thing the process does is is make it that a drug that has little or no solubility can improve its water solubility. Can can you explain how big a problem the lack of solubility in drug development is today and why yeah. that matters? Sure. So think about it in this, that look, drug has to be absorbed to get an activity. Now, sometimes in order to, if it's poorly absorbed, you have to, to set the dose of, of the, of the active material at a very, very high level to, to get a metabolic response. And when you do that, the dilemma is how high can you dose to get the response you're looking, therapeutic response you're looking for, and at what cost does it pertain to adverse events? So if you take a look at one of the products, the lead compound that we're developing internally, we're working on a thin film freezing version of a drug called voriconazole. Voriconazole is currently on the market um, and it's, its most frequent adverse event is, is a pretty profound effect on liver function. This is for fungal infections? It's, for, it's an antifungal for fungal infections. We are developing it specifically for a fungal infection called invasive pulmonary aspergillosis. So our hypothesis is if by administering the drug through the lung, we can get use a lower dose to get equivalent systemic uh, blood levels, thereby producing at least an equal efficacy, if not better, better, ad, better adverse events profile. So that's one way of looking at it. There are other drugs that can't even be formulated to be used. So there are drugs that are sitting in pharmaceutical companies' portfolios that they know has really good therapeutic uh, benefit. And by coming to us to help formulate these assets, perhaps they now become, you know, products that can be developed for different therapeutic uses. But uh, the, the basic value proposition here is you give ultimately a lower dose through the lung, get at least an equal efficacy with a better adverse events profile. Oh, just addressing the issue of solubility, what kind of an opportunity do you think that creates for this technology? Well, I think it creates a ubiquitous opportunity for the technology, whether you, whatever you look at, whether it's a large molecule, a small molecule. Um, so, you know, the applications that we're working on with partners, both pharmaceutical partners, uh, academic institutions, and the government is the application of technology to 
see what benefit it brings to individual new chemical entities or platforms like messenger RNA, um, siRNA. We're working with companies on, on products that are macrophages. Um, we're working with products that are monoclonal antibodies. We even work with botanicals, uh, cannabinoids to be specific. I, I think it's almost surprising to think that your your initial indications you're focusing on involve inhaled formulations of the drugs only because between the solubility and the the problem of cold storage, you're, you're addressing some major problems with with drug delivery. What's the advantage to using inhaled therapies? Well, the advantage is you're going directly to an organ that is a an amazing conduit for, for drug metabolism and distribution. Um, so that that's primary, and you bypass systemic and oral, you know, first and second line metabolism. So, so the lung is, is a wonderful conduit to, to therapeutics. So, you know, by, by developing this powder, again, through that could be administered through the lung or the nose or the skin or the eye, you know, you're creating tremendous, you know, drug delivery advantages that we think will manifest into significant, you know, therapeutic advantages, either in the efficacy or safety profiles of the drug. Or in the case of, of you know, aluminum adjuvant manufactured vaccines that are dependent on cold chain, you know, we can really help, you know, liberate uh, these vaccines around that, that issue. Part of the early strategy of the company is to focus on reformulating off-patent drugs for this type of delivery. What's the business case for doing that? Yeah, so our business case is, is really, uh, I would call it a hybrid. Um, so the business case for the internal development is, again, to you know create reformulated drugs that can have meaningful therapeutic uh, out, outcomes. So let's talk about, again, let's go back to voriconazole. There are many patients with invasive pulmonary aspergillosis that need more chronic administration of voriconazole, and due to the adverse events, it's difficult to treat patients for more than like two weeks. We're thinking that uh, our product, our TFF version of voriconazole, could treat patients that may need extended periods of voriconazole administration, perhaps 30 days or more. These are generally patients with uh, cystic fibrosis, HIV, very significant chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, chronic pneumonias. So uh, this allows for a more chronic administration of antifungal activity. Another good example is a thin film freezing version of tacrolimus. Uh, Tacrolimus is an immunologic agent that is given to patients to prevent organ rejection post heart, liver, and kidney transplants. And we are specifically developing it for lung transplants, which is an orphan indication. But the the, uh, target product profile is to allow patients to be treated chronically with Tacrolimus and avoid very significant renal impairment, which, which can be fatal. So, again, if you can treat patient longer and safer to prevent organ rejection, 
that's a, that's a tremendous value proposition. What's the regulatory path for doing this? What what does the FDA need to see? So the, the typical 505B2 regulatory pathway is is a um, streamlined uh, development program that first looks at bioavailability and bioequivalence to the existing compound. Now, we believe that in our pivotal trials, we will power the trial to show um, non-inferiority in terms of efficacy versus the existing drug, but it will mine for better adverse events. And at this point, what's known about the, the relative safety or efficacy mm-hmm. of the inhaled formulation versus the, the more traditional drug? Okay, so on our, uh, on our voriconazole program, we finished our phase one uh, trial in humans. Uh, it was in healthy volunteers to get dose and look for any issues with safety. Uh, we haven't seen any issues with uh, safety at even, even the highest dose of the four cohorts of dosing we tested. And we were able to see very, very significant serum blood levels. Uh, we're finishing up our phase one tacrolimus program. And thus far, again, in both the, uh, so far in the, um, both cohorts, single ascending dose and multiple ascending dose, we've seen, again, very, very significant blood levels with, without any of the untoward um, systemic side effects, adverse events. And so we're very, very, very optimistic about these results. They confirm what we thought we would see. And, um, you know, it's onward and, and forward in the, in the development of these assets. Outside of developing your own pipeline, there's a, there's a big platform opportunity here. What's the partnering plan and are you doing things to pursue sure. potential next generation mm-hmm. COVID vaccines or, or doing things to take drugs that have solubility issues and, and making them efficacious? Yeah, so as we sit here today, uh, we've actually um, completed uh, six transactions uh, with partners, academic institutions, or the government. We have over two dozen open, what I'll call feasibility material transfer agreements with pharmaceutical companies, uh, academic institutions, and the government. And uh, these span from individual new chemical entities uh, different vaccines or these platforms that I mentioned earlier, uh, specifically mRNA, sRNA, macrophages, peptoids, monoclonal antibodies, and botanicals. So we um, say that to our investors that we plan on, on closing two significant transactions a year or more. And by significant, I say these are ones that will have you know, meaningful upfronts uh, payments to the company to access and license the technology, milestones that are uh, associated with uh, clinical and regulatory milestones and events, rather, and then sales milestones and royalties. So, you know, the revenues will come from those partnerships as well as, you know, the transactions we do to license out the products we're developing internally. And are you seeing traction in any particular areas? Anything surprising you in, in the response from potential partners? No, you know, the portfolios have actually grown across those different categories, uh, which is which is wonderful. 
you know, we've, we've had some foundational deals that we've announced and we continue to build, you know, the, the, the amount of work we're doing across those, those levels of opportunities. Uh, we're working with, with top tier pharma companies, mid tier companies. And um, some of the work we're doing has actually evolved now into in vivo animal testing, which we believe will be the, so the final step in, in proceeding you know, meaningful transactions. Yeah, I will say that we, we've yet to come across anything that we couldn't successfully formulate, which is great. And, uh, you know, we, we think that there's really unlimited potential in terms of the, the depth and breadth of relationships that, that we could, um, think we can, you know, transact on. Glenn Mattis, president and CEO of TFF Pharmaceuticals. Glenn, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, I really appreciate it. I love talking about the company and uh, anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.